0: You're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM in New Haven, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. This is The Table Underground. I'm your host, Tegan Engel, and we're digging deep into stories of food, race, radical love, and creative justice. Today's show is about the farm in winter, and we're talking with farmer Steve Munno at Masaro Community Farm in Woodbridge, Connecticut, just outside the city of New Haven. And we're gonna get a feel for the land and the work of farming in the depths of winter. Hi, Steve. Hi, Tegan. Thanks for having me out here during the winter.
1: Yeah, great to have you. It's a nice sunny day for it too. Yeah,
0: beautiful. So Masaro Farm is celebrating its 100th year right now. It's centennial. And you guys started reestablishing this farm in 2008 as a community farm.
1: That's right. Um, so it's the 100th hundredth, hundredth year in that the Massaro family started in 1916. They, okay. they immigrated from Italy and started this as a dairy farm. And they had two generations of their family farming here. And the second generation uh, of boys, they didn't have family to leave it on to and uh, ended up putting the land into conservation. Okay. Uh, and so we've transformed it now into uh, an organic vegetable farm. Um, And we started that effort in 2008 and actually started production in 2010.
0: Okay, great. So I'm looking out over a few acres of land right here and there's snow sort of slowly melting. But can you tell me a little bit, what are we, let's take a walk out here and tell me what what are we looking at?
1: Yeah, this is a great place to see the extent of the farm because you can see the kind of northern and southern borders of the land and all the acreage that we're growing on and then to the east you see the woods so the property includes a good bit of woods and wetlands it's a 57 acre property but more than 30 of it is in woods and wetlands we're growing on um, just over eight acres of vegetable land with uh, another two to six acres that we're looking to reclaim so we should have two of those acres in production this year and hopefully another four or five in in the years ahead so
0: okay great and you have about six or seven structures out here that look like Hoop houses with kind of um, metal pipes and plastic over them. Can we walk yeah, towards them yeah, and let's see go what's going on?
1: Yeah, so we've got one heated greenhouse here to our left, um, and actually we leave that off for the winter. We don't we don't turn the heat on until actually about a week from now. We'll turn on to get our seedlings ready for planting in the spring. So okay. Um, and these unheated structures, unheated hoop houses or high tunnels, we use them for extending the growing season early and late in the year and also for protecting some of our precious summer crops like our tomatoes. Um, keeps. Rain from falling on them, so it keeps moisture off the leaves. So there's reduced um, fungal diseases on them, and we get better production out of them. Okay. And we'll go in here. This first one, we've got some kale growing. So inside.
0: I see the door is open.
1: The door. I opened the door this morning. Just it's a nice sunny day, so you know we don't need the heat in here for for the crops that we've got. Um, Here it's kale, but in the other tunnels, we also have um, salad mix and lettuce. So a mix of mustard greens that are hardy enough to handle the winter without heat, but do need some covered protection. So on a sunny day like today, um, you know, it can be 75 degrees in here just from the one layer of plastic. Yeah, the temperature
0: walking in the door is like 30 degrees warmer. Right, right. It's amazing. So, um,
1: in order to keep good airflow and not actually get it too kind of dank in here, we do need to actually ventilate the okay. sides. So we'll open up the sides. You can see are cracked a little bit and I just opened up the door so did that you it do fresh air. Yes. Did you leave it? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, first thing this morning and this week, because we've got a stretch of warm weather, I can actually leave the sides a touch cracked. I think our low last night was maybe 28 degrees. So, okay. you know, that can handle these crops can handle 28 degrees. We actually okay. want to toughen them up in the fall um, so that they can handle, um, those kind of gentle frosts, Mm -hmm. but if we hit the teens or single digits, everything will be closed and you can see these mini hoops over the crops as well. We'll put basically a a frost blanket over these as well. And so
0: by handling the frost, you mean that the leaves are not going to freeze and die. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we
1: want them to be tough.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it looks like you have some purple kale in
1: here. Purple kale here on this left half and, and then it's some green kale on the right. Um, green kale got nibbled it seems to be a favored favored (laughs) crop of some of the bunnies that come in here Um, and the
0: bunnies are out in the winter still
1: well i guess they like coming in here
0: yeah (laughs) so it's a little bit nicer they found the spot
1: yep um and and i've learned my lesson a couple winters in a row now they seem to stay off of the purple kale but they go after the green kale so it's it's growing back now and it should be fine uh for harvest in maybe four weeks from now Mm -hmm. um Obviously, I'd like it to be bigger, like the purple kale is, but right. but it'll recover. It just has yeah, some the nib- purple nibbling about on the just...
0: six inches or so, maybe even. Yeah,
1: yeah. Maybe... This is this would be delicious um, baby to medium kale. Uh-huh. Um, it's not quite bunching size yet, so we'll probably take a cut now, and in another four weeks, you know, now that we're getting longer days. We should get um, some some more rapid growth, okay. and we should be able to bunch some of the kale in in another month or so. And then, are
0: you selling it? Up- markets or what are you doing
1: for us in the winter um we sell to restaurants okay um there are some great local markets in the winter um but we we don't go to them uh, maybe in the future we will but okay. um, we don't keep other storage crops so for us we focus on uh fresh greens and and the restaurant demand is such that it's a it can consume everything that we grow okay. right. so rather than bringing it to the market we we offer it to the various farm-to-table restaurants in
0: in New, Haven. New Haven. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you plant this kale?
1: This was planted uh, in the first week of November. We we started it in the greenhouse uh, probably um, mid September, mm-hmm. um, and it's growing slow then too because there's reduced daylight and such. So it's not it's not growing as rapidly as it would if we planted it earlier in the year. Um, but we're targeting this time, this kind of February, March, April, when a lot of our root crops might be gone right. you know if we're just for ourselves or if we were offering it um if we were trying to offer that to market those things might be getting a little tired or right um you know so it's nice to have have a, a bounty of fresh things right so that's what we're so targeting at this greens time greens
0: like this which i guess we often call like hardy greens because they can sustain either frost or close to frost weather they're growing really slow yes right so I mean this is like you're basically kind of growing and slowly harvesting for like six months
1: exactly yeah I often say that they're really just hibernating over the winter months especially from mid-December to Mm mid-February so you try to get them established before that time so um, I'm really focusing on planting um, fall and winter greens in mid-september through that first week of november but the later you plant it the slower they'll grow Um, so some of the earlier things which we'll take a look at in the next hoop house um, we've cut a few times already whereas this has yet to be cut Mm -hmm. Um, so you know but it's basically hibernating in that time of really low low daylight uh, low day day length periods and then now that it's getting um the days are day length is increasing you know it'll grow more rapidly
0: And one thing I notice in here is that there's a ton of ground cover, like in the rows and kind of between the kale. Are you intentionally leaving that there for a reason, or just because it's a pain to weed it?
1: <laughs> so both. Um, <laughs> the nice thing is they're not interfering with the with the kale here. Right. So it's a chickweed that's kind of covering the ground and yeah. it's, and it's protecting the soil. It's not interfering at all with the growth of this kale and. We'll end up pulling it out when we're finished with the kale and we transition to whatever's sure. in here next, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's not a problem right now.
0: Does it help keep the ground from freezing and, and also from like water runoff and stuff if the snow melts?
1: Or... Yeah, for especially for snowmelt and that sort of thing when, when water might come in here just to absorb that water and keep this from being a really muddy path. Okay. It's nice to have a protected path instead of eroding um, soil paths. Yeah. So, so it's a nice cover. Now, if this were salad mix in here that we were cutting loose, that would be a problem. So, right, you and you can see of it in your mix by Ex- accident. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, but, but, but in it's, here it's This fine. is
0: like a very tiny leafed kind of vining really close to the ground cover. So it's super distinct in, in the way it grows from this kind of bushy kale that comes yeah. up out of it. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Shall we go on to the next, yeah, let's next two the
1: So there's a little bit of excitement at this next tunnel. <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Which is um well, you know, we have winter storms and summer storms and um though most of our structures held up just fine, uh the plastic on this hoop house uh ripped off in the in the wind and you can see in the
0: torn to shreds. So. Yes,
1: yes. So <laughs> this happened torn actually. To shreds. This was just over a week ago and we had fairly sustained thirty mile an hour winds whipping across here.
0: Yeah. Was and this new plastic, or is it a few years hap- old?
1: Happily, not. Uh, okay. This was this would be its fifth year, and we often call this plastic four four-year year plastic. plastic. Right. Yeah. That's, what I, that's why I was so, asking you. Yeah, it was actually <laughs> scheduled to be switched this spring, so we okay. were going to take it off. Um, uh, in April, and replace it with a new bit right. of plastic. So some of the work was the done for us. Only
0: farmer who who is experiencing uh, this no. with there for your plastic. Yeah,
1: <laughs> certainly don't wish it on anyone else. And glad it didn't happen to any other structure. So yeah. on one of six of our structures, we lost the plastic yeah. on this.
0: Um, and I see out here where we're standing, which is outside the high tunnel. There's spinach and maybe yeah, and arugula. some arugula and some mm-hmm. other greens. Was this just kind of? didn't get harvested before the snow came or what what's
1: this was late season harvest we were harvesting this October November December Uh, And we got multiple cuts off this, but you can see that it's regrown a little bit. It's maybe not something you'd want to cut and put on a plate in a restaurant, but still very edible. So Mm -hmm. I'll pick at this from time to time. And, you know, it was insulated by the snow when -hmm. it was covered. And now that the snow is mostly melted, we're seeing some patches of of decent greenery. So I don't expect to market this. This is the farmer food. (laughs) Yeah, this is stuff that I'll, I'll, you know, I'll cut handfuls of or make a little bag of and bring inside. Um, it's still delicious, and um, we should taste some. Yeah. It's, it's, it's still got some and nice, I see there's nice like flavor. Some
0: or something that's poking yep. up over there too. Yep. So this, cool. yeah, this
1: was this was the fall kind of uh, harvest for you know not needing to be covered for the winter, um, but yeah, we'll still, we'll still get a little bit.
0: All right, I'll taste some arugula. Yeah. So what happens to the greens? Do they get sweeter or more bitter? Like in the summer, if you leave greens growing too long, they just start to bolt and shoot up and get really bitter and horrible. But I just ate a piece of arugula that's like five months old or something. And it's really sweet and delicious. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the spinach is really delicious too. Typically, um, we'll say that the greens get sweeter, Mm -hmm. you know, as the temperature Mm. goes down. Oh my God. It's so sweet. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So um, it doesn't
0: taste like spinach. It's like, it tastes like a, like a fruity, like it has a fruity sweetness to it. Yep.
1: I, I like there's like a nutty quality to mm-hmm. it as well. Um, a really full flavor. Wow. Um so I think generally what happens is there's there's more sugars developing as the as the um, temperatures get colder to protect right. the to protect it from freezing. It's kind of like so, ice cream, okay. like
0: if the more sugar that's in ice cream or a popsicle, the less hard it gets. Ah, so it's yeah. kind of the same mm-hmm. that's probably where the principle comes from. The more nature puts the more sugars yep. in the food and then it protects it from freezing in the winter.
1: Right. Very cool. I th- I think with arugula we might expect some, some more spiciness. In fact, there's some greens inside our torn up hoop house here um, that have that sort of spicy wasabi um, mm-hmm. flavor to it. So
0: which gets stronger in the winter, or
1: it what it gets stronger with more cuts actually. So these mm-hmm. have all been cut in here a few times. You can see the last time we cut it was actually. Um, last week of January and it was our third cut of it and I find that um, as they get more mature they get a little spicier so what started off as maybe a mild medium mix gets a little spicier and it's just a couple of the of the varieties that get even stronger with that real wasabi flavor. Sure Um,
0: and when you say a cut are you cutting the whole crop like the whole row or are you just kind of selectively cutting parts of it and letting other parts just mature and grow older?
1: We'll cut um just above the ground, and um, maybe have a leaf that's a, a few inches, so it's a nice salad. You know, so you, don't have, to, you don't have to you don't have to cut are, it. That
0: are yeah, underneath keep then those will keep growing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah, so it'll 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 or it'll grow back too. So you'll yeah you'll get smaller ones that grow up and and some of the leaf will grow back. Um, and the hope is with salad mix that we get three or four cuttings like that. Mm-hmm. So we only have to plant once, but we get repeated cuttings. Right. But you know there is a difference between that first cut, which might be a little softer, a little more delicate um, than the third or fourth cut, right. which might be a little hardier. Right. Um, so the plant has matured a little bit.
0: Great. And what do you have growing in the other tunnels?
1: Uh, a similar mix, but different timing of, okay. of things. So there's kale and lettuce and salad mix um, and one bed of radishes. I like to have a little bit of radishes in there as well. Nice. Um, which are, haven't, We haven't qu- harvested any yet. I, I tried a few this morning and they were just a little smaller than I would like. So yeah. I'm hoping with this uh, warmer weather this week and with just the, the days getting longer, that it'll, it'll be maybe 10 days or so until we have a nice yeah. radish crop.
0: Nice. You have a lot more growing here than I thought you were gonna say. So, yeah, surprising. Uh, it
1: catches me by surprise too. Just you know, we harvested about 80 pounds of salad mix a couple weeks ago, um, just from these couple houses. So, yeah, uh, which is which is a good amount. Come on in.
0: All right, we're visiting some chickens over here. So, what do we have going on here?
1: Well, this is basically our, our home herd of chickens. Um, we keep them for eggs, so they're laying eggs. You can mm-hmm. see them actually in the laying box, nesting uh, box yeah. over there.
0: Um, There's a little nesting box that looks like a wine crate with a few, a uh, front put on it with some circles and then some hay inside. Yeah. Or it's like a, a fruit crate size.
1: So, we. Um, You know, we like to have the eggs for ourselves and we sell to a couple of neighbors, but it's not as big a part of the farm business, but it's definitely a big part of the farm character. Yeah. So there's about 15 chickens that we have, a bunch of different hardy New England breeds that can handle uh, our winters, but as you can see, we've got them in a a covered space for now with some fresh pasture.
0: So now they're inside of a a high tunnel hoop house. Yep. And you've got this mobile chicken coop. It's like a giant wheelbarrow with a chicken coop on top of it, basically. Exactly. And you pulled it inside the hoop house. And what's what's growing here? What are they eating?
1: This is a mix of peas, vetch, and oats. So it's a, a cover crop that we use to uh, replenish the soil. So all of our other tunnels are in some kind of salad mix or kale or mm-hmm. winter greens, but we've left this tunnel. Um, in a cover crop to restore it for the tomatoes that we'll plant next and and these chickens will also do a good job eating this up and fertilizing the ground before our planting so they'll probably be in here for three to four weeks and that'll give us plenty of time um, to get ready for tomatoes and get the tomatoes planted Um, you know there's a lot of people think it's great to have the manure on your land um, before you plant something which it is but you also have to be mindful of uh, food safety Right. uh, issues. So you want to have 90 to 120 days of uh, time Composting between, for yeah, the, for the yeah, chicken depend... manure to kind of exactly. compost
0: into the ground and then it's none of the potential bad bacterias can contaminate the crops. Exactly. So this so is... how long is it? You said 90 to 100 days? Yeah, de-
1: depending on the, the crop that you're growing. So whether it's a fruiting crop uh, or a leafy or root crop, you either need 90 or 120 days. Yeah. So the chickens are doing a good job of taking down the cover crop and fertilizing for us.
0: Excellent. Okay, so we have moved inside the farmhouse now, and um, Steve is pulling out, what are these, some some pickles, what kind of pickles?
1: Yeah, this is a, a kimchi that uh, um, my wife Jackie made along with um, my friend Ben, and it's carrots and turnips, uh, basically, it's our, our Hakurai turnips, it's a mm-hmm. sort of Japanese salad turnip, and carrots, also both grown here on the farm as well as some uh, ginger okay, um, and then we, we fermented them in a crock pot and have brought it out into these jars and nice. now it's a part of most every meal uh, in our lives so we've got several of these jars and we just ration them out through the winter. So we get a nice crisp vegetable, yeah, uh, pickle experience.
0: Excellent. And so a lot of people think of pickles and they know there's like that vinegary flavor, but these are not made with vinegar. This is like a natural fermentation process, right?
1: Right. Um, salt um, draws the water out of the vegetables and helps preserve it in its own moisture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, and then
0: yeah. they're sitting in a crock, so it's like more ox- It's kind of keeping the ox a lot of oxygen from getting in, but it's it's sitting in kind of at room temperature and fermenting, and it builds up all those good probiotics and stuff which are super good for our digestion. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So... It's a part of our healthy and delicious <laughs> diet over here, and we, we pretty much live on this over the winter. We do also make some vinegar pickles, um, but but this is what we mostly eat. Yeah. Uh, we also have some sauerkraut that we've made with with our cabbages, and we've made the quick vinegar pickles with some of the you know classic cucumber things that we'll yeah. we'll store. Um, we have pickles from the spring from uh, hunting ramps, so we've got some you know. Uh, wilds, pickled, yeah, pickled. Exactly. Yeah. So we've got some pickled ramps in the fridge. Nice.
0: Um, All right. I'm going to try one of these. Yeah. This is the daikon. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And what it makes it yellow? What did you put in there?
1: Um, the I believe it's the turmeric that's making okay. it yellow. Um,
0: mm. And it's still really crunchy. Yeah. Oh really God, crisp. So really good.
1: delicious. Um, my role in making this was mostly just planting and harvesting the vegetables. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I was around when it was happening but I leave you know, the expertise on this mm. to uh, Jackie and, and Ben on this one. So
0: Super delicious. So yeah. it's like salty, sour, it has that kind of fermented, it's not just like a vinegar sour, it's got like that added flavor that's so good. Yeah, there's mm. real
1: rich, deep flavor
0: here. Yes, uh, umami flavors, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's really delicious. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah, so, so this good. is
1: part of lots of our meals, and you can see we do have still some uh, fresh carrot and um, turnips that are stored that we'll chop into salads
0: or we'll roast or you know, So these eat. are like your cold storage crops. So these are root vegetables, onions, potatoes, carrots, mm-hmm. daikon, like Ye- a heavy radish that you're storing through the winter.
1: Exactly. Um, we don't keep great quantities of it for sale. Um, but, you know, I have, we have a couple bags just to enjoy for ourselves. So when we're doing our last harvests in December of these crops, you know, we'll bring in a couple bags so that we can eat some, yeah. you know, throughout the winter. Yeah. And in a couple of weeks or maybe a little bit later in, in March, we'll harvest um, overwintered root, root crops. So we've got carrots that are still in the ground that have been getting sweeter and sweeter uh in the cold so things temperatures. That
0: planted in the fall mm-hmm. and they're overwintering. They're staying in the ground over the winter.
1: Exactly. So we'll depending on what March is like, they might be harvested in the first week of March or the last week of March depending on how snow do, cover how and conditions. How do you know
0: when to, when to harvest those?
1: It's just, you know, how much snow is on the ground and mm-hmm. once once we can get at them, we'll we'll take them out. So okay. as long as it's not too muddy and we can harvest them without sort of destroying the soil, we'll we'll uh, we'll go out there and, and pick them up because mm-hmm. what we don't want them to do is start growing again. You know, they'll get uh, a lot more root hairs and then also the, the carrot will want to flower mm-hmm. uh, and it'll draw moisture out of that carrot. And it's and it's, of it, yeah, right. Exactly. So yeah. we want to get it. Before it's really warm spring it conditions. it like it's spring yeah. and I'm supposed to uh, grow again. Yeah. But we don't want to try to pull it out of frozen ground, so uh, it's a fine balance between mm. it not being frozen and not being too muddy yeah. and being able to pull them out and preserve that flavor. Yeah. And then it's a, such a great thing to have, getting ready for spring crops to have this thing that's already mature and delicious, uh, ready to harvest.
0: Right. So I'm curious, like, how you feel during the winter time, like you're you know you're not pulling that you're pulling a few greens out of the ground but not a ton of vegetables like you do during the summer and what does it feel like to you to like pull out a jar of these kimchi vegetables like these fermented preserved vegetables i mean when you're eating them are you thinking about when you were growing and harvesting them how does that what does that feel like to you
1: well it feels it feels great first of all to be able to put up food that you can then feed yourself with over the winter um, and I feel really grateful to the traditions you know that people have developed in so many different cultures um, to preserve food you know this kimchi is obviously you know not uh, a North American tradition it's an Asian uh, tradition
0: right. and right, it typically comes from Korea and then from other exactly.
1: countries. exactly yeah. um, so you know the fact that today we can um, you know take advantage of all of these um, Traditions that have been developed over time, you know, in cultures, and experience that in our own home pretty easily from things that we've grown, outside, um, and have such a great bounty. I feel pretty lucky for that. So
0: yeah, yeah,
1: um, and it's nice to be able to eat fresh things and still be feeding ourselves.
0: And so I'm curious about, um, in the summer, you have a crazy amount of work. Like, how how long are your days during the summer?
1: They're sun up to sundown. So
0: which um, is like 14, yeah. 16 hour yep. you know, long days. And so what happens for you in the, you know, this profession is so tied to the seasons in every possible way. So what happens to you in the winter? Kind of what happens to your work day? And yeah, it's, it changes
1: happily, you know, it's a great rhythm with the season with, I like being, you know, in the field in the evening when it's still light in the middle of the summer, you mm-hmm. know, at eight o'clock. And I like being inside at five o'clock right now (laughs) when it's in the winter. So, uh, it feels pretty natural. You know, it it doesn't feel like forced that I need to be out late in the summer or that I need to be in early in the winter. That just seems like what is supposed to be happening. Um, so, and I, I love the winter. If anything, it's too short Mm. for me, but especially with the season extension that we do in the, in the hoop houses and high tunnels, um, you know, we're growing outside all the way till Christmas, really. That's the goal is to harvest as much as we can outside, which we can do here in Connecticut. Right. Um, and then January and February are really the only months that, um, you know, are, are sort of quiet outside where I have a few chores I need to do. And depending on how much snow there is, maybe there's a lot of shoveling and a lot of management outside, you know, because those poop passes need to be managed if there's a lot of snow around them otherwise if the snow the builds snow up will just the snow can will, the exactly, the exactly. yeah. yeah so I like watching the snow slide off from the sides but you can't let it build up all along the sides right. back up to the top so you've got to clear the snow um, mm. to let it let the next and snowfall you build with up with
0: a tractor or by hand
1: or uh, both The sort of a combination because it builds up uh, quite heavily I'll use I'll make one pass with the tractor and use a bucket to just kind of Uh, scoot it aside. And then to get real close, I'll just use a shovel and just kind of pull some away. Mm -hmm. Um, So depending on how much snow there is, how heavy it is, you know, it can be a quick task or it can be a long task. And some winters we get repeated snows and I'm out there all the time. And this year, you know, we've had two real snow events. So I've only had to do major management twice.
0: Right, so you're getting, you're actually getting some rest in the winter, even though there's still work. That's part
1: of, part of the winter work is getting a good rest, I think. (laughs) Uh, So there's some of that. Excellent. Uh, There's some of that, but there's plenty of work to do, and there actually seems, you know, less time than I would like to do at all, because there's the business planning, um, what we're going to be doing this year, you know, any adjustments to our crop plan, ordering the seeds, looking at our crop rotation, hiring staff, um, there may be long-term strategic planning that I'm looking at. There's things like, you know, finding a good market if, as we've grown a little bit each year. You know, we're in, this will be our eighth year of production. We started on four acres. Now we've got eight acres moving to 10 acres. Mm-hmm. So um, we might have extra product. Where is that going to be sold? So making those contacts, doing some marketing, uh, fixing things, building things. Um, Time goes by pretty quick, and next week we'll turn on the greenhouse and start sowings for the spring. So once that happens, there's continual greenhouse.
0: Right in the early early March. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So um, if there was a foot of snow out there, I might wait another week and start later, um, knowing that um, you know it'll take a while for snow to melt, and we might get out into the field a little later. But the way it looks now, we'll probably start the first week of March. Mm
0: -hmm. So you really have two months where you get to slow down a little bit and. Do you get any time to kind of do some contemplation?
1: Yeah, How yeah, there, there's some, there's definitely some personal time there. I get into a nice rhythm where I'm not simply waking up and going outside and going to work. I might, you know, I'll wake up and come downstairs and have a little tea and breakfast and read mm-hmm. and things before I get into my workday, uh, which is nice. So, so uh, there's some contemplation time in there. There's also, you know, professional development time. There's a lot of conferences over the winter and a lot of farmer get-togethers. So okay. this is a good time to, you know, meet with fellow farmers, talk about what happened last year if you haven't connected, talk about the year ahead. You know, what crops are working well, what varieties you might want to try. Um, and then there's a number of great conferences to go to where you can really get in depth into some uh, skill sets. Um, you know, the last few winters I've been doing more teaching as well on mm-hmm. that front, doing workshops and conferences. So, um, you know, if you're doing one every couple of weeks of a kind of workshop or conference, it, it goes by it goes by quick. Yeah, uh,
0: I'm I'm sort of curious about your sense of the community of farmers in Connecticut, because you know we have a, such a we have a state where we have areas that are very kind of leftist, liberal, progressive, and very racially and economically diverse, and then we have areas that are either very wealthy areas or very rural, also very poor areas where politics tend to lean more to the right, and I think there's farmers in all those different areas, and I'm, I'm sort of curious of your perspective on kind of the community, the various communities maybe mm-hmm. of farmers in, in Connecticut, and especially in the political climate that we're in.
1: Sure. Um, well, I'll say first that I love our community of farmers uh, throughout Connecticut, and when I came to Connecticut, I would previously farmed in Massachusetts and California, and there were great communities of farmers there. So when I came to Connecticut, I wanted to meet farmers, and I knew I had lots to learn, and still have lots to learn from other farmers with more experience than me, uh, and other farmers with less experience than me mm-hmm. you know, have lots to teach me. Right. So, you know, I started talking to the different vendors at the markets. You know, who, who's growing where? What are they growing? What's working well? Um, what advice do they have for me? Where can I get the things that I need? Uh, for my farm because being just outside of New Haven it is great for us in terms of marketing. There's population, but there isn't a lot of ag infrastructure. You know, this is not an agriculturally dense area here in Woodbridge. So right. There are a couple other great farms in Woodbridge and in uh, the neighboring towns, but figuring out sourcing things. What like what gonna, kind of stuff were you, were you having hard you know, things like just your farm, basic farm supplies, so things you might need for the greenhouse with your trays. You know, there are things you can find through catalogs and through the internet, but you're wondering where are people sourcing from locally. By going out and talking to people at the markets and then getting involved with networks like the New Connecticut Farmer Alliance and Connecticut NOFA, I've been able to meet really a tremendous community of people who want to help each other mm-hmm. um, and want to learn from each other, so I've been... And grateful, made, made incredible friends, learned a lot from people and, and, you know, and that continues.
0: Right. Yeah. And those two networks you mentioned, so you have a lot of young, new farmers mm-hmm. with various levels of experience. And then also a lot of organic farmers or people who are doing more sustainable agricultural practices, even if they're not certified organic. Right. So yeah, those, those all support what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's great. Cool. Um, so I know on your farm, you guys are growing a CSA, a community supported agriculture um, program where you're growing food that people then purchase in the beginning of the season or in advance of the season, and then it's getting picked up or do you guys deliver as well? Or
1: Most of the CSA pickups happen here at the farm. You know, as a community farm, we really want people to come to the farm and experience um, you know what is happening on a farm because right. you know so much of our generation and future generation are removed uh, from farm life right. so we really want people to come here and pick up produce uh, and be able to walk around the farm, be able to see the chickens in the yard. Go out and like pick their, yeah. their
0: sugar snap peas and exactly. their cherry tomatoes and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So we want really,
1: yeah. uh, you know, to provide a hands-on experience. That, that's part of um, what we offer as a community farm is, right. is opportunities to to experience uh, the farm life a little bit, or at yeah. least a taste of it. Um, but we do deliver a little bit into New Haven. There's plenty of people who don't have vehicles who want to support a farm like ours who want, you know, a subscription of fresh vegetables throughout the summer. So we have a couple of drop spots that we do but uh, that's it's a really small number okay. um, we have 200 families who um, sign up for our CSA each year we deliver about 15 into New Haven
0: okay.
1: uh, and we combine that with some of the restaurants so when when we do our restaurant deliveries right, do we'll, do, we'll do together. the drops yeah,
0: yeah. and um, I know that you guys uh, an important thing that you do because you also have a nonprofit as well as your farm and you guys have a commitment to donating food to people in need. Mm-hmm. Can you tell
1: me a little bit about that? Yeah. So when when um when this farm was restarted as an organic vegetable farm, we made a commitment to donating at least ten percent of our produce every year to hunger relief organizations. And so um the way that we do that is I, I plan into my crop plan to have extra of everything. Um so each week uh, we we donate produce and that's changed over the years who had uh, who receives the produce and um, because we've grown uh, You know having started on four acres um, And now being at eight plus acres uh, we have a lot more produce to donate than we did seven years mm-hmm. ago So we started off um, Giving to to smaller local hunger relief organizations um, like Columbus House and Shelter. We did um we worked with Jewish Family Services. We work with, work with our local Woodbridge Senior Center that mm-hmm. uh, works with families in need in Woodbridge. And as we've grown, we we still work with smaller organizations like that. But the bulk of our produce gets donated to the Connecticut Food Bank and the Valley they have Salvation a huge Army. Distribution yeah,
0: distribution networking can get it out to more people. Right,
1: so yeah. they can handle getting a hundred pounds of lettuce or a hundred pounds of zucchini, whereas some of the smaller places might not be able to handle that volume, right. and then it's not going to good use. So yeah. so they can take what we've donate it and disperse it as Mm -hmm. they know to do best Um, but we'll still do smaller donations to a number of places but the bulk now are are weekly pickups from from those places
0: yeah and you guys do some education programs are you able to kind of reach different populations different kind of economic and racial populations or is it mostly just people who live nearby
1: we are you know we're in an interesting spot here um we're on the Woodbridge Ansonia town line actually part of the farm used to be in Ansonia and that part was was sold and developed Um, but so we're close to the valley towns Mm -hmm. being right here on the border with Ansonia and we're just outside of New Haven so we can serve the sort of greater New Haven area the Amity Woodbridge Bethany Orange area and all the valley towns as well so and
0: each of those towns you mentioned sort of have very different demographics some are wealthier some are not as wealthy and also racially some are very white and some other ones are very Indeed. racially mixed yeah
1: yeah so there's you know I guess there's a couple of ways that we're um, trying to engage the different towns uh, and populations is that in some cases we're inviting um, people to the farm in fact I mean we always want people to come to the farm for our events and programs uh, but we're also we also go out into the school mm-hmm. so we've hosted a food core service member here uh, mm-hmm. the last four years and they're really focused on going into the schools in the valley mm-hmm. you know helping with um, school gardens helping with school nutrition programs and nutrition education and then they also bring uh, those school groups to our learning garden for opportunities cool. as well Um, We're within walking distance of two elementary schools, Um, so they've come out here for different experiences. There's uh, Emmett O'Brien Technical High School is nearby. They've Mm -hmm. had their culinary program out here. Amity Regional High School has worked with us with their senior internship program. Yeah. So we've engaged in a lot of different ways yeah, based on... Yeah, so when on, you say you're a community
0: yeah. farm, you're really trying to reach the community in a lot of a lot of different communities and in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm, exactly. So, you that's know, great.
1: Summer programs have been out here. Summer rec programs. Solar youth has come out here. Yeah. You know, so um, as we've grown uh, our farm program, we've also been able to grow our education programs. Now we have yeah. people who are dedicated to that side of things. So
0: That's great. And you have a couple of events coming up.
1: Yeah. So uh, Sunday, February 26th, we've got uh, a concert featuring Paul Winter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul Winter is an incredible musician, multiple-time Grammy winner. And he lives in Connecticut, and he um, is very environmentally conscious Mm -hmm. and um, has agreed to do a a benefit concert for us um, at the Church of the Assumption in ansonia it's a beautiful church incredible cathedral so this is a rare opportunity to see a concert in this incredible space Mm. um and to see an incredible musician in this space and so it's a benefit um for us as well that's
0: great and so it's sunday the 26th at 5 p.m um i guess there's a pre-event at three o'clock and then the concert starts at five and people can get tickets at massarofarm.org or they can buy tickets at the door um that's very exciting. That's in Ansonia, Connecticut.
1: Yeah. So very close to us here in the farm. And it kind of wraps up the year, the the hundred year anniversary right, celebration. The end of the hundred year yeah, Centennial so the, celebration. Exactly. That's a good way to end it.
0: Yeah. That's great. And so there's also another event coming up, which is the Connecticut NOFA, which is the Northeast Organic Farming Association conference, which is March 11th and 12th, and that's in Danbury. And there are a lot of different workshops happening at that conference. Um, the keynote speaker is Leah Penniman, who's been on the table underground, and she will be doing a talk on ending racism and injustice in the food system. She is a super dynamic, very smart speaker. That is March 11th and 12th, and people can find out information at c-t-n-o-f-a, ctnofa.org.
1: Yeah, that should be a lot of fun. We're really lucky to have Leah Penniman coming as our keynote and there'll be workshops of all sorts. If you want to learn how to make this kimchi, there's probably there should be some fermenting workshops. There'll be beekeeping right. workshops. I'll be teaching a class on cover crops, um, season extension. So that right. anything you want to learn, whether you're a farmer, gardener, consumer, if you eat food, this is a conference for you. If you're a farmer or a grower, this is a conference for you. Um, if you want to learn about ending racism and injustice in the food system, this is a conference for
0: you. Yeah, so. excellent. Thank you so much for giving me this time and welcoming me into your home and taking me around the farm. It was really special to be here in the winter. So glad to have sauna. you. Thanks. Right. For the last segment of today's show, I just wanted to share a few of my reflections about my visit in February in the middle of winter to Masaro Community Farm. and. One of the things I wanted to speak to is the incredible privilege that I have in being able to get out of the city and go to a farm like that. Um, I feel so, so grateful to have a car and am so aware of the fact that so many people don't have cars. And also every time I leave the city in my car and go out into surrounding areas of New Haven, In general, I'm usually in pretty white areas and I'm always aware when I leave the city and go out into beautiful parts of nature, whether it's out on a farm, out by the ocean, um, you know, some of these places around New Haven are racially diverse, but many of them are not. Many of them are all white areas, some wealthy white areas, some more working class white areas, but I'm always extremely conscious of the fact that when I leave, I... When I leave New Haven, when I leave the city, that I don't stick out, that I can blend in and that I can um, go out into these places and enjoy the beauty of these places um, without being stared at, without um, being seen as other. And my family is a racially mixed family. And so that is, you know, if we're all together, then, then things are different. But when I'm by myself, um, that is how I'm seen. And I'm just extremely conscious of that. And thinking about this incredible privilege of going out to this really beautiful farm and getting to taste fresh, delicious food off this farm. And how many people in the city don't have that privilege? How many people are poor and don't have a car? How many people of color don't feel comfortable going out into farms or going out onto, um, in the north at least, going out into uh, more rural areas and into, uh, areas that are predominantly white because they don't necessarily feel safe or comfortable there. And, you know, I was thinking about, um, the issue of food access and, and the justice component of everybody, everyone, regardless of how much money they have, regardless of race, should have access to healthy, life-giving food. And this shouldn't be a privilege that, that you get because you have money or that you get because you have white skin, Um, This is about a basic human right and a basic human need. And I was reflecting on the fact that Masaro Farm and so many farms and so many organizations working on the issue of food access are doing a lot of things to try to overcome that, Um, trying to help people bring school groups or community groups out to their farm, help people use their food stamps to be able to buy farm shares and CSA shares. doubling the value of food stamps, um, so that people can get fresh fruits and vegetables that are more affordable. But all these things are just band-aids. You know, they're, they're all great intentions. Many of them are amazing programs and opportunities, but they're just band-aids on a huge broken system. Our food system is, you know, like many of the systems in our country has been dominated by people wanting to make money and has not been dominated by how to get the best food to the most people, how to grow food in a way that is not going to contaminate our water and our soil and treat animals horribly. Um, So the real solution about making food equitable um, and safe is a much larger question of of our broken food system. So I just wanted to speak to those things because I think it's important to, to talk about them. Thanks for listening to The Table Underground. I'm your host, Tatian Engel. We have recipes from today's show on our website, including sauerkraut and kimchi and a number of other great winter recipes at thetableunderground.com. You can find all of our podcasts there as well as lots of other inspiration. You can also find our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast hosting sites. Thanks for listening. Check you next time. This is WNHH New Haven Community Radio.